This is Vermont Edition. I'm Jane Lindholm. Last Wednesday, a threat of violence aimed at Essex High School set police into action and the school into lockdown mode. Surrounding schools in Essex Junction took precautions as well and went into lockout mode. No violence occurred, and police are still investigating the circumstances of the threat. But it was a sharp reminder that pretty much all schools now have procedures for dealing with armed intruders who might even be students. This morning, our producer Patty Daniels spoke with Essex High School principal Rob Reardon and also Kathy Quinn, the school's director of student support services. How did that initial command or instruction come to you? Well, in this particular case, I was in a meeting, so uh, one of the assistant principals who received a phone call from Essex Police came over the PA, and we have a a specific way to go over the PA in an emergency situation where there's a little siren sound at the beginning, which is uh, atypical of any time anyone else goes over the intercom. And the the command was very brief and to the point, um, we're now going into a lockdown uh, this is not a drill. We're going into a lockdown. This is not a drill. And it was shortened to the point. Um, the siren does get your attention. Okay, I got to listen to what's coming next. And were there further announcements over the PA throughout the morning? Or was that first instruction the only instruction? So there were no more announcements over the PA at that point. There were some email communications that uh, were made to our staff. So once we had contact, I'd say probably a good 20 minutes to a half hour after this started, we were able to have some communication with staff via email, but nothing over the intercom. As you were getting information from Essex police, this seemed like a very serious, credible threat at the beginning. And then as the morning went on, it seemed to be maybe seeming to be more of a hoax, but one that still had to be taken seriously. How was, how were you feeling? How were you changing as the morning went on? Well, you know, initially, yeah, I, I would agree. I think in the beginning, everybody it was, certainly took it as a, a serious, credible threat. I should back up a little bit. Each event, there's a there's a school crisis guide that each school has throughout the state of Vermont. And so basically, based on the situation, you have a checklist. You you always want to remain calm, and the checklist is, is, is extremely helpful to make sure that you don't miss something along the way. You were able to email faculty and get information throughout the building that way. How does that comply with lockdown procedures that faculty were able to be there using computers or smartphones to check email? Well, once the police were here and they had established uh, a presence both inside and out, this didn't happen right away. It was after the fact. So as the situation was unfolding to minimize panic and fear, uh, that was kind of a, a... a happy medium we we decided upon moving forward. I want to ask both of you to comment on, you know, what you observed about how the mood of students and faculty was changing over the course of the day. We were all sort of locked down in our own situations. I did have a couple of students that we pulled into our office because they were in the hallway and they were calm. They, what we know is that Um, the students will take their cues from the adults. And when the adults are calm, the students will be calm. And once we were in lockout versus lockdown and I was able to walk out around the building, I noticed that where the adults were calm, the students were calm. And in some of the classes where we have some of our kids that have a background of significant trauma and anxiety, The teachers were really extra calm. So that's what I noticed at that point 
once we started to let people exit the building, there was this sort of sense of relief, but also shock, I think. Um, the students were walking out of the building with a phalanx of armed police officers shaking their hands and thanking them. I think depending on where you were in the building, you may have had different responses. Some were very calm and were that way, and some perhaps were not, but acted very calm. But the effect was the same because the students, uh, they were following suit. So in other words, the students mirrored what they saw with the adults, and the adults were fantastic. And as a result, you know, we talk about the long time of the lockdown lockout being four and a half hours, but because the faculty and the students were uh, so outstanding in their response, in my opinion, that allowed law enforcement to get through their initial sweep quicker, and, and once again, quicker is being four and a half hours, but nonetheless, it could have been longer. Kathy, where were you in the building when the lockdown was announced? I was actually in my office, and um, our protocol, because my office has a window, a door window, my secretary's office next door does not, so the protocol is to go into her office, and so that's where I was. Um, and I know you had asked Rob about cell phones before, and because of my previous experience in a school where I did not have my cell phone, I grabbed my purse before I went into the room so that I had my cell phone because I knew I needed to know what was going on and because I needed to be in close contact with my family. So I think, you know, technically in a lockdown, the protocol is that you don't access your phones, you don't access your laptop. I talked with one of the police officers um, the next day who said that the fact that parents were hearing from their kids really kept the community calmer. And so I think that's something that we need to wrestle with in the aftermath as we sort all this out. It sounds like the, the room that you were in, it sounds like it was a closed off space that wasn't, there were no windows or it wasn't visible to anyone who might have been nearby. Yeah, you couldn't see. One thing that did happen is that for many of the teachers in my department, the phone rings to my secretary rather than into the their offices or teaching spaces. And so her phone was ringing with families who couldn't reach their spouse or parent. And she was very tempted to answer it. I know they're worrying. I was like, absolutely not. And we turned the ringer off. Regardless of how bunker do you think you are? You can't take the chance that you're going to give away the fact that there are people in here. Kathy, you referred to your previous experience in a, in a school situation, and you're referring to the 2006 shooting at Essex Elementary. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. And what we're referring to is a shooting that happened um, during the in-service days before school actually opened to students. Yeah. People in this area will certainly remember that shooting. It crossed my mind that it's very likely that there are students who are at Essex High School now who would have been students at Essex Elementary School then. That's right. And Alicia Shanks, the amazing teacher who was murdered that day at the school, the class that should have been her second grade class that year graduated last year. But there are still students that were impacted that are here. Um, there are a couple of students in particular that I made sure to go and check in with. And I think that's really helped to have students feel like whatever they're feeling, it's okay. We're going to hear it. 
We're not going to judge them. We're not going to think anything about them other than that we're here for them and that they can ask questions. Did you know when you got into education that so much of your job would focus on security? It's something that unfortunately that we all have to deal with. And it's the same with the same with teachers. I mean, I'm sure when they're looking to become a mathematics teacher, you know, polynomials is one thing and lockdowns is another. And I'm, yeah, it's, it's just something we all have to take on shoulder. That was Essex High School principal Rob Reardon and Kathy Quinn, the school's director of student support services. We also spoke this morning with Lieutenant Ken Bollier of the Essex Police Department. He served as chief of operations for the incident at the school, coordinating close to 100 responding officers. The first information we had was that there was a subject in the school that was threatening a specific classroom. He gave us a little more information about what his weapon was and that he had put some explosive devices around the school. We had a detective talking to the the caller. You know, at some point, uh, the caller gave us a timeline deadline. That deadline came and went without any action, which was, you know, in my opinion, a a positive thing. And then suddenly we had no information because the caller hung up. Given where we were as far as clearing the school and what we'd accomplished up to that point, I didn't necessarily take that as a negative thing. That was the beginning of believing that this was not anything what it was originally said it was. I can tell you from me personally, I think it went really very well. These incidents are, there's a lot of moving parts. They're confusing at the beginning, but they're going to be. We rode that out pretty well, and I think we got to a point of stabilization pretty quickly. The incident did end in a, in a, on a pretty positive note. You know, there ultimately was no real threat. Um, we didn't have anybody injured, student, staff, officers. As far as ending happily, if we get a guy in handcuffs, I'll be happy. That's Lieutenant Ken Bollier of the Essex Police Department. The police are still investigating this incident. The FBI, it has been reported, has also been called in to help. Uh, there are some questions about whether it may have been a hoax that is similar to other incidents in schools around the country. Uh, ongoing investigation on that. These incidents, though, as we're hearing, require coordination between police and schools. And everyone we spoke with this morning emphasized to us how crucial training, drills, and preparation are to managing a real life event. Joining me now for the rest of today's discussion is Gary Margolis. He used to be chief of police at the University of Vermont. When he left UVM, he co-founded Margolis Healy, a national campus safety consulting group based in Vermont. And he's now CEO of Social Sentinel, a software company that helps schools identify threats made on social media. Gary Margolis joins us to talk about how lockdowns work and how schools think about their procedures. It's a pleasure to have you back on the program. Thanks, Jane. Thanks for having me. So what strikes you from what you heard there uh, from Patty Daniels' discussions earlier this morning with people in Essex. So what stood out for me are, are a couple things. First, uh, the amount of planning and preparation that went into responding to this event, the amount of work that the uh, school district had done and the Essex Police Department had done along with the Vermont State Police uh, stood out to me because, as, as you heard the lieutenant talk about, they had uh, 100 officers from multiple jurisdictions responding to Essex and being coordinated throughout the district in a very short amount of time. And that doesn't happen by chance. It happens because there was planning, there was training, and there was prior exercising. And I think that's a, a big positive for what we saw happen last week. 
Uh, Principal Reardon of Essex High School actually says they have a monthly conversation, uh, a tabletop safety meeting with first responders so they can keep talking about how to have these procedures and make sure that they're fresh in their minds. Gary, do you think that's a good protocol to keep thinking about these things, keep drilling them and have those lines of communication between first responders and school officials? Absolutely. You know, there's there's been a lot of effort put into uh, Vermont school crisis planning. When we go back, even before the tragedy, just 11 years ago in Essex, this is something that schools were were training on and trying to understand. And after that that tragedy, what you saw was a significant amount of resources going into school planning. Uh, the Agency of Education, um, the, uh, the Department of, of Public Safety here in Vermont – have put a significant amount of time and effort into school crisis planning, uh, Secretary Holcomb and, and Public Safety Commissioner Anderson. And and that work and that effort that has been put in um, at the district level across the, st- uh, across the state is paying off. You're seeing the kinds of responses that are coordinated and well orchestrated in um, in here in Essex, as you saw, uh, in South Burlington just, just yesterday in terms of their assessment of, of a potential threat. And so that's the key, planning – Training, exercising um, helps you achieve that level of calmness that you heard talked about where folks know what they need to do um, and it's not a surprise to them. Is that happening in the rest of the country as well? It absolutely is. There have been, unfortunately, a number of of tragedies across the country in school districts. You know, it's important to remember – Schools remain the safest place for our children. Statistically speaking, you want your children in school. Um, The level of supervision, the level of structure, the level of overall safety, our schools really are the safest place for children. It's also a place where any threat is taken um, extremely seriously. And so schools across the country, after a number of tragedies and incidents over the last 30, 40 years, have developed school safety plans um, and are training and drilling on those all-hazard response plans. When this all happened in Essex Junction uh, last week, we know that Essex High School went into lockdown and other schools in Essex Junction went into lockout. Can you talk about when lockdown is the right procedure versus when lockout, when uh, you know things can sort of still happen within the school, but nobody's allowed in or out? The difference between those and when one is appropriate over the other? Absolutely. So a lockout is generally uh, initiated when there's a threat in the community that may not be in the school. So, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a bank is robbed, let's say, as a kind of a generic example, somewhere near a school or near a school district or near a, a particular school. What you'll then see is a lockout where the perimeter is secured to prevent a potential external threat from getting into the school. A lockdown is the assumption that the threat might be in the school already. And it has a different um, set of strategic outcomes and goals. So for a lockdown, a lockout is for securing your perimeter. For a lockdown, what you'll you'll see being taught and what we saw happen again here in Essex as a great example is uh, a very simple uh, mantra, locks, lights, and out of sight. So doors are locked, lights are turned off, uh, and people in the classrooms and in the spaces move away from the doors and windows so they can't be seen. And that's uh, uh, you again. You saw it happening. You heard, you know, well, so and so wanted to answer the phone. You know, mute the phones. You don't want to give away that tactical safety advantage. Uh, and 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 the only time that you come out of a lockdown is when a law enforcement officer has identified themselves and made it okay to do that and given you instructions to do that. So these are the kinds of 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 drills that schools are doing across the country for many years now. It's it's normal. It's I, I go back to 
in the 19, you know, 50s, you know, you know, folks who went to school in the 50s talk about, you know, hiding under their desks in the event of a bomb, right? And 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 the various, you know, world-related issues going on. This locks lights, you know, out of sight and lockdowns and and, and lockouts are a part of this generation's response to potential threats. It may be normal, but that doesn't mean that it's comfortable to everybody and certainly uh, perhaps not comfortable to parents who are thinking, this is what my children are drilling for. I mean, is it just a a reality of our modern times? Because just the fact that it's normal, it should be alarming or may be alarming to some parents. You know, I've had similar conversations with parents in Israel who, uh, you know, who go through, uh, you know, gas attack, you know, masks and such in their school planning, right? And I've talked to parents and, and educators in other countries who each have their um, risk mitigation, you know, processes. I, I think for for our parents, and I am a parent of, I have I have two two teenagers in, in high school, um, uh, and and I think about preparedness and and having them understand that this is about being prepared. It's no different than if I said to them, when the alarm, the fire alarm goes off, leave the building, right? It's the same kind of be prepared. You don't need to be anxious necessarily about it. You don't need to be um, necessarily scared. You need to take appropriate steps. And by giving our, our children, our students, and our teachers and staff these tools, when there is an unknown threat or a crisis, they have something to do which could save themselves or someone else. Um, And I think that's important. And I think it's very valuable. We're talking today about what happens when a school goes into lockdown and uh, looking specifically at what happened in Essex, but also questions about what should happen in a school. How do we be prepared? How should parents think about this? Gary Margolis is with us today answering questions about school lockdown protocol. He was chief of police at UVM and is CEO of Social Sentinel, a software company that helps schools identify threats made on social media. He also co-founded a national consulting organization that helps schools address campus safety issues. We know that lockdown, lockout protocol, uh, safety measures, drills are practiced from preschools on up through colleges. So this is something that affects a lot of families. We heard Kathy Quinn at Essex High School uh, talk earlier about the fact that even though protocol said she should not be on her cell phone, she grabbed it and she wanted to make sure that she could be in communication with her family who would be really scared to know that she was in lockdown in the high school. It sounds like, Gary, the the rules, one of the rules about lockdown procedures that you shouldn't be on your cell phone. So first of all, why? what's the prohibition on cell phone use? Sure, there are there are pros and cons on on this question of cell phones. the The, the typical prohibition on cell phone use is uh, to to go back to what was spoken about earlier on the ringing phone. Right, uh, it's a distraction. It cre- potentially creates a distraction. It activates. It lights up a room. Uh, I mean, how many times I've walked into a dark room and I just turn my cell phone on. I don't put the flashlight on so I can get around it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a beacon. It can identify you and it can make noise. You can hear it vibrate. You can hear it ring. And so if you're trying to not give up your tactical safety advantage, having something that buzzes and lights up is is not ideal in those particular circumstances. So those are the, I think those are the cons of a cell phone that we we struggle with. And the pros would be that communication that that at least parents uh, can be reassured. Maybe they're not running to the school, which you're also not supposed to do when a school is in lockdown to try to get information if you're in communication with your child. Absolutely. Uh, Cell phones, in this case, serve really a a, a couple of purposes. So, right, from a parent's angle, right, from from myself as a parent, 
I want to get a hold of my child. I want to say what talk to my son or my daughter and find out what's going on and are they safe. That that's natural. And the expectation is that we give our our children phones. We all have them because we want to get a hold of them. So there's a phone aspect to it. There's another aspect to our cell phones, which is they're they're more than phones, right? And the most widely spoken language in schools today is social media. And and so events are happening and there's potential information to be shared not only from people in the school with public safety and with school administration about what might be going on. It's a good source of intel and information when it's appropriate. And again, it goes back to making judgment calls in that moment. It's also a place where students are posting on their social media accounts about what's going on. And so schools are struggling with the safety aspect of the, you know, being alerted and having a phone go off or ring. At the same time, there's a lot of information being generated that has to be captured. It's one of the reasons why Social Sentinel has become such a success around the country with school districts who use our software to look for indications of harm on social media. It's just a large it's a big place to get data. And so the cell phones have a, have, a, have a pro and a con to them that have to get weighed, right, in, in the circumstances. I want to go deeper into that question of um, social media and trying to assess what's happening and how law enforcement and school officials can use that. But before we do, during the incident last week, we were hearing from some students who were posting on uh, VPR.net, like Chris, who said, having, quote, fun sitting here in a dark classroom without any information from staff, or Grant, who said, taken from a real student at EHS, we're still still stuck in the school, very hungry and have not been cleared, have Subway sandwiches ready when we're out for the poor victims of this. And afterward, Jalen says, as an EHS student, this has been one of the scariest experiences of my life, but everyone is okay, at least physically, and that's what matters. And let's go to Kathy, who's calling in from Essex. Hi, Kathy. Go right ahead. I, um, I, I'm calling as a, as a parent. I live in Essex, and my two children were there uh, that day, and I Certainly wanted to send um, my appreciation to the staff and the, and the responders for their quick action. I knew my children were in good hands. Um, I was out of state at the time, and I could not be here if um, you know if the need arose. So, and I was not in communication with them. They do not have cell phones. So my my saving grace was knowing that they were being taken very good care of. So I wanted to send out those notes of appreciation and. Um, so I was so intently listening because I'm, you know, my kids are like, we need phones. And I'm like, ah, you know, I don't know if that would have helped them in that situation, but maybe for peace of mind or maybe for communication. So I'm just curious as to, you know, where the the social media technology, you know, kind of need or not need for phones for them at this time. So I was um, just curious about the greater conversation. Yeah, Kathy, thanks for calling in and, and sharing your perspective. What do you think, Gary? You know, I, I remember when I was, um, you know, a child uh, and we were out playing outside and, and it was time for dinner. My mother rang a cowbell. I could hear that thing eight blocks away and we knew it was time to come back. She didn't pick up a phone and call me, right? So um, I, I think times have changed. I think the decision to give your, your child a phone or not is is ultimately, you know, every every parent's assessment. I mean, I, I, I think that's clearly where that lands. Um, and there are pros and cons, right? There are cell phones that can only be used for calling and don't have that smart device to be able to be on social media, if that's a concern. There are phones that you can do it all. There are phones that text. I mean, um, you know, I'll, I'll call my kids. They they generally answer the phone, but I'll get a better response if I text them, right? So, uh, you know, I think in today's day and age, most of us are carrying these personal devices that allow us to be, you know, be contacted. And so um, 
I think I think that's the the way things are leaning. Um, and and again, for the peace of mind, you can get a hold of someone. You need to get a hold of them. And let's go to Lori, who's calling in from Burlington. My question really relates to the balance between deterrence and um, and uh, how to appropriately protect uh, children, which it sounds like uh, was done um, very well. Um, I'm just thinking about in a in a very disturbing way the what why pathological behavior um, continues when it gets a lot of media attention, like serial killers or even terrorism. Both of those. Uh, um, crimes happen because um, uh, in order to get attention and uh, sometimes the pathological need to get a rise out of uh, or an adrenaline rush out of the immediate attention. So um, this incident um, was followed perhaps by something that happened at South Burlington. And my concern is how do we avoid, um, how do we do what we, what is, seems to be the appropriate thing um, uh, without um without um, uh, prompting uh, more of the same behavior by giving the, that pathological um, adrenaline rush to the either a prankster or a, or a downright uh, criminal. Um, yeah, Lori, I, I hear exactly you what you're that? saying. And, and um, Gary Margolis, this must be something that you think about. It's a great question, Lori. You know, after years and years of assessing threats at schools, uh, in my experience, no different than the superintendent or the principal or the lieutenant police or or the Essex police or Vermont State police. Um, there is a, a process and a rubric that we go through to assess a threat uh, and to identify where it is on a risk scale. And that's pretty well tested. You, you're not going to hear the school or law enforcement talk about that rubric depending on what it is because you don't need to telegraph that uh, necessarily to the folks that may want to get around it. Um, but there are there are well established principles for that kind of threat assessment and risk mitigation that work and work well. And in these particular instances, as an example, clearly something was said that triggered um, uh, the risk profile of being a little bit higher. And I think there are there are a couple things that happen here. One is um, you have to enforce. Uh, the law for people who uh, call these in and who are creating this kind of problem. And you heard Lieutenant Polio say at the end, I'll be happy when this person's in handcuffs. That's perfect. And that's a great message because I think so will I and every other parent who's concerned or every other member of that district or the community that's concerned. So enforcement's a, a big part of it. Um, the second thing I take away from this, though, is in cases like this, while it's easy to focus on who called it in and who – I look at it the other way. I looked at it from a – Things happen. In this case, this was called in. But look at the response. Look at the coordination. Look at the communication. What went well? What can we learn from? They had a plan. They trained on it. They exercised um, that plan. They uh, put it in motion. They coordinated 100 different responders. They All the things that I sit back and say, okay, everything we've been doing looks like it's working. Now, are there things they'll learn from this? Absolutely. I'm confident that in addition to the investigation, um, Chief LaRose and his team and the superintendent and, and her team and, and the principals are triaging to understand what worked, what didn't, what we do differently. That's great. And that's all important. But for me, I look at the, you know, if there's a positive in this, it's that nobody was hurt, um, but the school knew how to respond and so did the local police. And then hopefully we'll hear at some point down the road an arrest was made because it also sends a message. We take this seriously. And if you do these things, we're going to put you in handcuffs. Let's go to Daniel calling in from Burlington. I am a, a parent in the Burlington schools, and in the last uh, couple of years, I've had the uh, misfortune of being caught uh, in lockdowns that happened early in the morning at the Flint Elementary School while I was dropping off my child for the morning. Lockdowns were called, and 
we were all corralled into various uh, safe spaces. Uh, as a sort of a firsthand witness to that, and as a parent uh, with my spouse on the outside of the school, not knowing what's going on, uh, I, I've communicated with other parents in the district who are uh, quite frustrated with the Burlington School District's sort of lack of a coherent policy uh, statement on how they will communicate uh, current events to the outside world. Um, you know, understanding that we don't want to be on our cell phones all making calls out from the inside. Uh, if we look at the example of the recent incident in Essex Junction, uh, that, that school district put on their webpage a banner at the top that sort of kept people up to date and was relatively timely. Of course, they weren't doing every detail every time it came up, but there was at least some communication, uh, whereas in the incidents in Burlington, the central office wasn't able to tell the public what was going on because they seemed to be uh, either clueless or unreachable, and the school, of course, can answer the phone, and parents are panicking outside, uh, and there's not a structure to to communicate outward. Daniel, yeah, I take your point, and and I want to get another call in here from Chris before we get uh, Gary Margolis' response on this. Chris is calling in from Richmond. Chris, what are you thinking? Hey, um, thanks for taking my call. Hey, Gary. Um, Hey, Chris. What concerns me is the control of communication in and out of a school. And I know that, like in EMS and other first responding services, there's a protocol and I can't imagine, say, 300 kids calling 300 parents and 300 parents not wanting to rush to the school. I, would, I like the idea of shutting down the cell phones in the schools, especially with teachers who can be distracted. Um, they don't want to be, but we all know it happens. Is I, I almost feel like the uh, responders, probably state police or the police, uh, need to, as part of their communication branch, take over communication from the school. The school doesn't need phone calls coming in from parents or necessarily a million phone calls going out. Uh, there needs, to, I think, needs to be a single message coming out to the parents. And if you don't trust that message from police or whoever, then you change it now or you fix problems now before you need them. Chris, thanks for your comments. Uh, one he- more here from Mary in Williston, who says, I'm wondering what provisions can be or are for parents and guardians' communications with schools. Just like for snow day cancellations, is there a messaging system to tell parents what's happening and what to do? And for incidents like this, is there a place where parents can go to wait for their children, hear updates, and worst-case scenario, receive support? I'm thinking something like what Red Cross does in so-called natural disasters. So, Gary, lots of parents here wondering about this this question of communication communication and what's coming out from an authority, a central source for parents. So we have an expectation um, in, in this this phase of our society that communication is instant, right? I mean, the news comes to you is, is the way it goes as opposed to you going to the news like it used to be, right? And so that's a challenge. So if we can agree that, if reasonable minds can agree that in a crisis, when things are rapidly unfolding, there's there's a bit of chaos going on. That's a, that's fairly well established. That's a, a time-tested experience. It's not new to this generation or this period of time. It's in general when there's crisis, it's, you know, it, it, it's a challenge to communicate. So without, you know, obviously being able to speak to the crisis communication plans in either Burlington or Essex or any other community um, at this point, uh, the way that w- we see this being mitigated um, is, again, if we can assume that 
as things are rapidly unfolding, there's got to be some leeway about just how quickly we're going to know what's going on. But schools are using services, mass notification services that um, provide that kind of communication. And and I, I just about every school district, I'm going to say just about, I can't believe there would be any that don't, but 99.9% of the school districts are using these kinds of communication tools. And so what school leaders um, and, and, and public safety end up doing before events like this, during and then after are teeing up templates for how do we get a quick message out? You know, the school's in lockdown. Um, th- when we have more information, we'll let you know. Uh, because that's um, – there's very little chance that a school is going to have enough information in those initial phases of a crisis to give out the right information, which is almost worse than no information. Is to So this, this communication challenge is – consistent with every crisis we experience. Um, and schools now, many, and again, not being able to speak to the particular examples that were given here, but many schools have that crisis communication plan with these teed up messages that they can hit a button and it goes out by text. And what I would say to parents is, if you aren't signed up on the school's mass notification or messaging service, you, you really need to be. Um, you need to get your cell phone enrolled or your email enrolled so you're getting information. You know, the protocol must be different, Gary, in terms of what schools do in a lockdown situation, depending on what age group we're talking about. I mean, you were uh, chief of police at UVM. College campuses are large and sprawling. Students can be in a lot of different places. Uh, Elementary and high school students, you have this other protocol. And then there are even preschools. I mean, 15 three-year-olds are not going to be quiet the same way three three or 30 15-year-olds might be. Do protocols change depending on the age group? They do change. You actually might be surprised at how quiet a group of, uh, you know, um, uh, kindergarten students or, or, or uh, you know, K through six students can be um, in those moments. Um, but they are a little different. Uh, certainly uh, the expectation, again, for levels of communication and, and what's going on. But in general, the protocols are the same. There's not a lot of complexity around, you know, lights, locks and out of sight. That's a pretty standard. And what we're finding at colleges in particular, well, even high schools, you're coming out of of elementary school and middle school, this is what you've been drilling since you were in kindergarten. You get into high school, it's what you do. You get into college, I'm not having to, you know, we're not having to teach college students how to how to secure themselves in a room. They've been doing it for the 18 years before they got, you know, to school. Your company right now, Social Sentinel, as you said, uh, helps schools identify threats that are made on social media. How do you do that? I mean, how do you monitor social media to sense a threat? Well, school districts across the, the country were have been asking for a solution to all of the, the social media that's that's being shared. It's the most widely spoken language in schools. And so we set out to uh, to build a, a service. We're like a like a home alarm system um, if for social media that when threats are made that trigger the alarm uh, based on our algorithms and our technology, uh, we're able to alert a school and in a way that is very respectful of the privacy of our students. That's really important to me. I spent 20 years, you know, uh, protecting the Constitution, and that includes freedom of speech and expression and assembly. And so we set out to build a service that gave parents um, or gave, I'm sorry, gave school administrators knowledge about language of harm on social media, that when something triggers that, they're able to look and say, hey, what's going on here? Is that a threat someone is making to themselves, to someone else, to the school? And uh, as I said, and I've said before and will say again, social media is the language of communication for our students. It's for our society, but in particular for our, our students. 
Gary Margolis is former chief of police at UVM and CEO of Social Sentinel. It's a software company that helps schools identify threats that are made on social media. Gary, I appreciate you being on the program with us today. Thanks for having me, Jane. And it is at 12.45 as we go live here. We have an update on South Burlington. A message sent by South Burlington Schools District Office says, shortly before 11 a.m. this morning, several South Burlington High School staff received a detailed message of a threatening nature. South Burlington Police Department officials were immediately informed and administrators initiated school safety protocols. At this time, again, it's 1245, the South Burlington High School building is in lockdown to ensure the safety and security of all present. Police have secured the entrances to the high school and are preventing all movement within and access to the high school building. Due to the close proximity of the Frederick H. Tuttle Middle School to the high school, all outside middle school activity has been moved indoors and security protocols are in place. Parents and guardians that would like additional information can come to the first floor conference room of the South Burlington City Hall. Students will not be permitted to exit or enter the South Burlington High School at this time. More information will be provided at approximately 1.30 p.m. That came from Superintendent David Young. Update here on the situation at South Burlington High School.